All right. Well, I'm excited about preaching this morning. I'm excited more than that. I'm excited, really, the reason why I'm excited about preaching this morning is because I'm excited about what God's doing. Yeah. I believe God's stirring things in this church, and I believe that God is putting us on a path to revival, to a move of his spirit. I'm going to show you a video later in this service. It's just two minutes and 24 seconds, something like that. But I'm going to let you see what I mean when, when I use the word revival, what revivals have done in the history of the world and the radical effect it has had on nations. But this morning, I'm going to start my message by preaching a title called King's Decree and Priests Pray. Uh, this is still part of the series on memorial offerings. Priests make memorial offerings. You see, Cornelius, something about Cornelius really touched my heart some 10 weeks back when I started this. Cornelius had a visitation from heaven. I have never seen an angel. I have seen demons I've never seen an angel. I've had a demon manifest in my room on a number of occasions. And uh, I guess God was just sharpening my life as a sword for warfare. So I've seen demons. I've never seen an angel. And, I, and it's not that I'm craving to see an angel either. I want to see Jesus. Yeah. Amen. That's where my focus is. But my point is that Cornelius had a visitation from heaven. And not only did Cornelius have a visitation, but he had a visitation that was going to mark the beginning of a visitation to the Gentile world. This man's memorial offerings were so significant before God that God chose him to be the man that would be the mile marker of the beginning of the gospel coming to the Gentile world. And what made Cornelius so spectacular in God's eyes? He was a Roman centurion. But it wasn't his position of uh, hierarchy in the Roman Empire that touched God's heart. It was his position of humility that touched God's heart. When we read about Cornelius in the book of Acts, the angel speaks to Cornelius and makes it very clear to us that he was devout. In other words, he was devout dedicated, fiercely dedicated <clears throat> to the things of God. He feared God. He respected God. If God said yes, it was yes. And if God said no, it was no. If the word of God said something was wrong, then it was wrong. And he would avoid the things that were contrary to God's heart. He feared God. He respected God. He revered God. And then it says that he gave uh, he made prayers, and his intercession was a memorial offering before God and his giving, and he gave to the poor. I am absolutely convinced that Cornelius' intercessions weren't prayers about getting a new shiny gold chariot. I think what made it into, uh, incense in God's nostril was that his prayers were probably less about himself and more about the people who had less than he had. 
Now, I'm not saying that God won't answer your prayers for your personal needs. Of course he will. But isn't it a sad state of being when a kingdom of priests only pray for what they need instead of praying for what the world needs? Yeah, I'm going to work on that thought. I'll give it time to seek it, seep in. And maybe by the end of the message, I'll get some louder amens. You see, Cornelius didn't build a memorial before God because he prayed for everything he wanted. Cornelius made a memorial before God because he was praying for the same people he was giving generously to. He was praying for those less fortunate than himself. He was praying for the lost. He was praying for the needy. He was praying for the broken. As a centurion riding on his horse with men at his command, he saw the destitute position of the people of his day. And then he would go home and take off his earthly crown, his earthly titles, and he would come as a priest before God, and he would pray. Man, this Roman centurion, this burly, strong man became an intercessor before God. And God didn't acknowledge him. Not once did the angel say, well, Cornelius, because you have such a high position, you know, we structured church growth, we, some, structured church growth on recognizing celebrities and, and, and surrounding ourselves around people who have power or position or money. Cornelius stripped himself of all those things. God didn't acknowledge one of those things in his life. He didn't say, oh, well, you're a key player. You're a centurion in, in Caesar's army, and here you are in Israel. I need you. No. What God acknowledged about Cornelius was that he would take off his, his gold trappings and his armor and the recognition from the Roman Empire and he would humble himself and come as a priest before God and make intercession for the people of the world. That struck God's heart. We read in Revelations uh, 5, verse 8 and verse 10, and it says that there are 24 elders with golden bowls collecting the prayers of the saints which are incense before God's uh, throne. When we are only praying for ourselves and every little luxury that we want, I doubt it really smells like incense before God's throne. But when we are praying for the needs of a hurting world, when we are praying for people we've never met and they have no blood relationship to us, but we're praying that they will have a visitation of God and that they will be rescued from sex trafficking, that they will be rescued from a pandemic, that they will be rescued from the turmoil that demons bring to people's homes. When we are interceding for people that we don't have a bond with or connection to it becomes a sweet smelling fragrance in the nostrils of our God can I get an amen Over the last couple of weeks in particular, I've been emphasizing scriptures that speak of the fact that we've been called to be a collection, a kingdom of royalty, a kingdom of kings, and a kingdom of priests. So I'm going to quickly review some of that. 
If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 5, and I'm going to read the verse that I just quickly spoke about, verse 8 and then verse uh, 10, I believe it is. Just, this is quick review, and I'm going to take you on, you know, a good... (coughs) The Bible says that you... Build line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm not just giving you sermons that are uh, not connected. I do series because we want to build understanding. We want to build a theological understanding principles of how God functions and how the spirit world works. Revelations chapter 5 verse 8, And when he had taken it, the four elders or the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. How that has struck my heart, how that has become such a reality and an urgency to me over the last few weeks, And I believe the church really needs to get the revelation that our prayers and our actions on earth uh, are, are extremely important to what heaven does on earth. We are not disconnected. We are connected. And, and God has set aside those 24 elders with golden bowls, not some pottery, but a little bit of glaze. Your prayers deserve golden bowls. And when we pray selflessly, it's like incense. It's a sweet smell in God's nostrils. How many of you are parents here? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever seen your kid do something for somebody else who's less fortunate or be thoughtful of someone else or be sacrificial? How many of you felt your heart just swell with pride and joy? Can I see your hands again? And what do you think? these prayers of incense are when God sees us concerned about others when God sees us making sacrifice when God sees us going to war in the prayer room making intercession for the peoples of the world that maybe we could so easily just shut out and ignore, but we will not ignore them. We will feel the burden of God on our hearts and we'll go into intercession and fight demons and fight devils and say, no, we believe for revival. God, rescue the prostitutes. Rescue those that are being abused. Rescue those that are in turmoil. When the church of Jesus Christ prays for something more than just itself. It fills the heavens with an aroma and it arouses God and it will initiate intervention from heaven. Hallelujah. That's what Cornelius calls to happen in the realm of the Spirit. There are 24 elders with golden bowls of incense, which are your prayers. Let it never be said that heaven was lacking incense because of us. Verse 10. He's talking about the church and he says, you've made them to be. You've brought them into existence for this purpose. I don't think Christians get this. 
We all just want to be Christians because we don't want to be unsaved people who go to hell. And we want to be Christians who are going to get blessed, blessed, blessed. And I've got nothing against the blessings of God. But we want to get blessed, blessed, blessed. And we forget about everyone else. And then we want to go home, home, home. And God says, no, I put you here for a reason. I have a purpose for you. You have made them to be. You've given them a purpose. You've given them a destiny. You've given them a reason to be here. You have made them to be a kingdom, a coalition, a collection, a realm, a sphere of kingly people and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Unfortunately, lately, the picture of the church on earth is a church that runs on earth, not reigns on earth. We don't want to run from the rumblings of the enemy. We want to run into the heat of the battle and make the declaration, greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. Can I get an amen? I shared with you how that word kingdom in the Greek is basilia. It, yes, it means kingdom, but it also means royal power. It comes from the Greek word basileus, which means a king and a ruler. In some passages, it actually means emperors. You're not just a, a kingdom made up of peasants. You understand, Jesus said to his disciples after a while, he said, I don't call you my servants, I call you my friends. Do you understand that Paul gets a revelation and he says we have been made heirs and co-heirs together with Jesus Christ. Co-participants, we are co-heirs. I went from a dirty, rotten sinner and by no greatness of my own, but by the greatness of God's grace, he took me out of the dumps, he took me out of the garbage pit and he cleaned me up and he seated me in heavenly places and he says, I am giving you the right, the power and the authority to rule on earth in my behalf. Hallelujah. Now, if you know, and if you understand that Pastor Rob isn't just talking about Pastor Rob, but he's talking about every one of you, if you know that and understand, stand up and give the Lord a shout of praise. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Yes! You are never designed to be the devil's punching bag. It's the gates of hell that can't prevail against the attacks of the church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Galen, I like the way you did that. Could you do it again? I like the way you did it. Would you stand and do that again? That was awesome. You inspired me. 
I'm serious. Yeah! Yes! There's not enough fight in the Christians today. And I wonder, why is that? Has the world scared the fight out of you? Or have you not read what is in the word? I, I ask God, what is it? Is it that they don't understand who they are? Or is it that we've become so intimidated by the news? Intimidated by the circumstances? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in the last few weeks, I've read this and I've expounded on it. But you are a chosen people. You're not the leftovers. Tap someone on the shoulder next to you. Tap them a little bit firm too. Get their attention. Come on, tap them. And look at them and say, I am not a leftover. I am not half done. I am chosen. He picked me. I thought I was. <laughs> Thank you. I love this kind of response. Thank you. It, it, it's like throwing a bone to a dog. I, I had a little dog when I was a kid, you know, in Australia. We called him Patches. Called her Patches. She had a patch over her eye. And, uh, uh, you know, a black round thing, not a physical patch. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. <clears throat> and... Uh, she was the sweetest little thing. She always wanted to cuddle up to me. And one day, when I was giving her her food, there was a bone in the bowl as well, and plus her food, and I went to move it because it wasn't where it was supposed to be, and all of a sudden, that friendly little pooch. <laughs> you all know what I, where I'm going, right? <laughs> she bared her teeth at me. Church of Jesus Christ needs to be able to bear its teeth Amen. and growl. Yes. He made me to be a kingdom. He made us to be a collection of kings and priests. You understand priests have direct access to heaven. You watch these movies over the years. You know, the, 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 the president has got the, the red phone and generals have got the, a hotline to the president's red phone. Oh, should we call him? Are we ready to go to war? Shall we press the button? <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> we get all excited and tense as the movie's going on. Will they call the president? Will they press the button? I have access to God. Every day of the week. And I press the button on a regular basis. First, thank you, Russ. Thank you, Donna. Let me tell you something. How do you get milk out of a cow? You got to squeeze those udders, right? 
The more you say good preaching, amen, the more you shout, the more you squeeze the anointing out of me. <laughs> All right. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, priesthood, but a royal priesthood. And I shared with you the other week, the word royal comes from the same word or root for kingdom and for kings. Basilios, royal, a body of kings, kingly in nature, royal. So here we are, the church is meant to be a collaboration of people who are both kingly in nature and priestly in nature. So today, I want to share with you a scripture that I am not, I, I, I cannot say I've ever consciously read. And if I've read it, I've never noticed what I'm about to show you today. And it was very significant to me because the minute I read it, God said to me, that's what you're doing with your church. Are you ready? In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, starting with verse 3 to verse 6, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Who's he going to talk to? The descendants of Jacob and the people of Israel. Is that correct? Not to just the tribe of Levi, or just the tribe of Benjamin, or just the tribe of Judah. This is what you're going to say to the whole conglomeration of them. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. What God did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of you all nations will be... Uh, now if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We've always understood that the tribe of Levi were priests. But in God's heart, while the tribe of Levi were in the official capacity of serving and earning their keep through the ministration of the temple, he called the whole nation to be a kingdom of priests. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God wanted the whole nation to see themselves as kings and priests. You say, well, it doesn't really say kings. Yeah, you know what? In the Hebrew, we're going to go back to the Hebrew, it does the same thing that it does in the Greek. Look at this. The word kingdom in the Hebrew is reference number 4467, and it's mamloka, mamloka, kingdom, kings, reign, royal, it comes from Hebrew 44.27, Malach, to be, 
to be or become a king or queen and to reign. Yo, that's the same thing that Peter says to the church. That's the same thing that is said of us in the book of Revelations. The nation of Israel was meant to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests, doing God's business on earth. I'm going to say it again. The nation of Israel had a destiny. They were chosen. They were called to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests doing God's business on earth. There was a time in Israel's history under the leadership of King Saul that a challenger rose up from the tribes of the Philistines, one of Israel's enemies. They worshiped a god named Dagon. Very pagan, very immoral, wrong for all the right reasons. They were just wrong, wrong, wrong. And one day they, they had a, a champion named Goliath. And for 40 days, the armies of the Philistines were on one hilltop and the armies of Israel were on the other hilltop. And 40 days, Goliath would come out and give a challenge to the nation of Israel. And says, listen, we'll do this. We'll settle the score mano a mano. Our champion against your champion. Pick the greatest warrior from among your ranks and let him go head to head with our Goliath, with our champion, with our sumo wrestler, and whoever wins, that'll settle the score. If you win, we will be subservient to you. And if we win, you will be subservient to us. The Bible says that for 40 days and nights, the armies of Israel stood on that mountaintop and they trembled and they were fearful. And not one man offered himself to go and fight the enemy. Until a little shepherd boy came along. You wonder why we spend so much time in church doing worship? We cut the service down a heap if we cut the worship down. You know why? Because it makes kings. David, as a shepherd boy, would look after his father's sheep and he'd have his harp. Very interesting, the 24 elders in heaven had harps and a golden bowl. David would have a harp and he's looking after the sheep and he would start to worship God and praise God like a priest. That must be a word from the Lord. Oh, that's it. The Holy Spirit just said, good preaching, Rob. <laughs> As a priest, he would sit there and worship to the Lord of glory. And then when a wolf or a lion or a bear would come against one of his father's sheep, one 
flaming sheep. David would rise up like a king and take his kingly position. So one day his father sends him off to bring some supplies to his brothers. Some cheese, some bread, a few goodies from home, you know. Just like we send packets off to our soldiers when they're overseas. And David hears the rumbling of this Goliath. Give me your best man! And he sees that among the armies of Israel, not one volunteered. So David, this little shepherd boy, says, I'll go fight him. His brothers tried to shut him up. The point of my, that I want to make from this story is that when David finally was allowed to go to war, Saul wanted to put his armor on him. David said, no, I'm going to do this by the Spirit of the Lord. When David stood on that mountain... He said to Goliath, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? He didn't say the armies of Israel. See, David was possessed with something more than, than just nationalistic pride. He understood the calling of God. He understood that this nation was chosen. He understood that they had a purpose and they had a place. And because they had a purpose and they had a place, they had a destiny. And out of all of Saul's army, there was only one man, and he was but a boy. Do you know why he became the king of Israel? Because he was a king in his heart long before he was king over Israel. I'm trying to put the king inside of you. I want you to see the king who is in you, Jesus Christ, and you are co-heir together with Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on now. Yeah. A whole army. The nation's representatives, and not one of them knew who they were. But here's David in the Old Testament. Didn't have half the revelation that we have today. And as an old covenant legalistic young man under this law that could not bring life, he still understood God said we are a royal nation. God said we're a kingdom of priests. God said that we are chosen among all the nations and he planted himself on that mountaintop and instead of looking with fear, he spoke with faith. That little kid had a roar and, the, and Goliath laughed at him. And the world might laugh at the church and the world might laugh at you. And David said, you're laughing at me. And Goliath says, yeah, you come with, against me with with, with a stick and some stones, a slingshot. David says, ah, you got it wrong, buddy. You come with your spear, your, spear, your javelin, your, your shield, your sword, your armor bearer. I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. See, David was a king long before they ever made him a king. And I've been telling you for weeks now, the word of God says, you are chosen 
and you're meant to be a, a kingdom, a kalam, <laughs> I said the word before, a conglomerate of kings and priests. But what is really interesting is that Moses was told by God, go tell these people. They're chosen from the nations of the world and they're meant to be a conglomeration of kings and priests. I've made them the head and not the tail. But they didn't get the revelation. And every once in a while, one man would get a revelation and become a hero. Watch this. Jesus comes to earth. I already told you, the nation of Israel was meant to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests, doing God's business on earth. Now watch this. Matthew 21, verse 43. Jesus comes and he says to the people of Israel, therefore I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. God actually took that stamp of favor and approval. He took that destiny and that purpose off of the nation of Israel and said, since you will not act like kings and priests because you don't understand who you are and you haven't given God the credence to believe what he says he means, I will take that kingdom off of you and I will give it to another group of people who will produce the fruit of the kingdom. Here's the issue. The church of Jesus Christ barely understands who she is. And we stand in the same peril that Israel stood. Jesus said, I'm taking a kingdom off of you. And I'm going to give it to another church. We're meant to be, and we're meant to see ourselves, and we're meant to think, and we're meant to act as a body of people that have been chosen to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth, and we are kings, and we are called to be priests. We want to live like the sinners in the world. We got saved as sinners, but now we want to live as sons who are still sinners. Priests need to clean themselves up. Priests need to live according to the holy word that they serve. Yeah, I know it's got a little bit quiet there. Just like the nation of Israel was meant to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests doing God's business on earth, the church is meant to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests, doing God's business on earth. Come on, Galen, say it. Let every man in this house rise up with the Spirit of God inside of him and say, choose me, Jesus, choose me. Are there kings in the church of Jesus Christ? Are there priests in the house of God? Yes. 
could say, my help comes from the White House. David said in the Psalms, I look to the mountains of God from whence my help comes from. The kingdom of God is our answer. And what America needs today is not another answer. What America needs today is for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up from its sleep and understand that we are a kingdom that is undefeatable with a king called Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Well, pastor, aren't you stretching it when you say the church is meant to be a kingdom of kings? Meant to be a kingdom of kingly people living like priests doing God's business on earth? Isn't that a bit of a stretch? No, out of Jesus' own mouth, he said it. I'll prove it to you. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus' disciples had been following him now for a couple of chapters. And they said, how do you do this? Where do you get this power? Teach us to pray so that we have power like you. Isn't it interesting that the early disciples who were face-to-face witnesses understood that the power that Christ had came from a life of prayer. We, we, we know the Lord's Prayer. We memorize the Lord's Prayer. We say it like, you know, we're putting paint on a wall. Boring. And yet, the disciples came to a revelation. This man has power to command the wind. He has power to command the waves. He has power to command a legion of demons. He casts out spirits of infirmity. He heals the sick. He opens blind eyes. Even the dead can't stay in their graves when he calls them out. They were first-hand witnesses. They drew the connection and they said, teach us how to pray. Watch this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaches them how to pray. Stay with me. Watch this. This is a revelation. Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom, thy kingdom come. Stop. Thy kingdom come. When is that? You see, we read this in Old English, and a lot gets mistranslated or lost in translation. I remember years ago when I first started out in ministry. Some of you have heard how I, I, I used to pray and fast. For days, God, I don't want to preach sermons. I want to reveal principles. I want to, I want to be able to preach principles that will set people free. We had gone to a, a small town called Dubbo to pioneer a church. I remember the time and the place. I can see it, the image in my head when this was going down. And we had it like a little, like a little shanty uh, extension onto the house 
And uh, we later had turned it into a couple of bedrooms with shared bathrooms and rented it out. But I was using it at the time for a place to study. And I'm sitting at my desk and I'm reading the word of God, getting ready to preach that Sunday morning. It's a good 35 years ago. And the Holy Spirit says to me, I'm reading this verse, I'm preaching on the kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit said, look up the word come, C-O-M-E. And I looked at the Holy Spirit in my mind, and I thought, you're kidding, right? He said, look up the word come. Uh, excuse me, come means come. He said, look up the word come. I thought it was the stupidest thing. I tell these things now, and I remember them so well because I remember how silly I felt when I got the revelation, but how emboldened I became because I got the revelation. He said, look up the word come. And so I look at the word come because in the English it sounds futuristic, your kingdom come. Come on, God, your kingdom come. I'm waiting for help to come. It sounds futuristic. So I looked it up in the, in the Greek, and this is what it said. Um, the word come in the Greek references 2064. The word is erkomahi. It's a present tense verb. One, it's a verb that means it's always happening. Present tense means it's right now. And so what Jesus was telling his disciples, you want to move in power like I move in power? Good for you. You recognize that the source of my power comes from a prayer life. Then this is what I want you to decree. This is not a prayer, oh, please, God, let your kingdom come. Jesus was going around everywhere preaching the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. He's not telling them, get, get on your knees and start begging for the kingdom of God to come. No. What he was telling them in the Lord's Prayer and what the church has not gotten in its, revel, in its heart in, of revelation is that Jesus was saying, make a declaration. Make a decree. You see, kings make decrees. And he talked to them as kings. He says, make a decree. I want you to understand the word come. I want you to understand the word come is a verb, which means it's continually happening, and it is a present tense verb. And so the declaration is, God, your kingdom has come, and it's happening all around me. Now that's a very different attitude than somebody who's praying, oh God, please let your kingdom come. That's the person who doesn't realize there's already a fire inside of them. That's the person who doesn't realize there's already the army of heaven inside of them. That's the person who's not acting like a king, but he's begging like a pauper that help might come from heaven. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like a king and make a decree. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is around me. The kingdom of God is in me. And I thank you, God. The kingdom of God is happening. It's a decree. It's not a plea. I rhymed it so you won't forget it. Thy kingdom come is a decree, not a plea. 
It's a declaration, the kingdom of God is now, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is in me, and the kingdom of God is happening. Once you make the decree that the kingdom of God is now, he goes on and says, now your will be done on earth. That's not a plea. (laughs) When you get the foundation of the prayer right, and everything else makes sense. God, I'm living in your kingdom right now. I'm not under the kingdom of darkness. Principalities don't rule me. Demons don't have authority over me. You have raised me up into the heavens. You've seated me in heavenly places. The kingdom of darkness is two heavens beneath me. They're under my feet because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. You've made me a co-heir with Christ. I am seated in the heavens with him. He's the head, I'm the body. He's not in one seat and I'm 10 rows in the back. No, if he's the head, guess where your body is? Your body better be where your head is or you're dead. And when the church doesn't understand that the body of Christ is where the head of Christ is, when they don't understand that, they are dead. When we don't have the revelation of who we are in Christ, this is why God said to Moses, tell them. And this is why the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what you're doing. You're telling them. You're letting them know who they are. Because I want to do something. God wants to do something. Can I get an amen? And so he says, this is how you pray. Your kingdom is here. Your kingdom is now. Your kingdom is me. Your kingdom is in me. Everything that is in your kingdom is in me. And because of that, I decree. I command that the will of God as it is done in heaven be done on earth. I command all this shammery and all this mockery and all of this foolishness to come to an end. I command the powers of darkness in my city to shut up and I bind you in the name of Jesus and I release into the heavens the will of God on earth as it's being done in heaven right now. Why? Because Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom and what you bind on earth will be bound in the heavens and what you loose on earth will be loosed in the heavens. Hallelujah. Oh, well, we're just going to church. I hope he doesn't preach too long. Got to get in, got to get out. Football's on. We need for church to get on, hallelujah. This is the best football match in the NFL. And I am already decreed the national champion, hallelujah. If I'm always the national champion, we play it every year just to reinstate the fact. We are the champions <laughs> of the world. <laughs> Do you understand who you are? So often we live like defeated people and we have defeated mentalities. We're called to be kings. We're called to be priests. 
We speak into the heavens. No, devil, you principalities are speaking curses over my nation. You're speaking curses over my city. Road rage has gone crazy up the wazoo. Rape, murder, anarchy everywhere. No, 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 no. Do you understand this is your watch? Do you understand you are God's representative? This is his earth. Do you understand that heaven responds to the prayers of the kings and the priests? There are 24 elders who will prove it. Yeah. So Israel lost their destiny because they didn't understand what they were destined to. And the church will lose its destiny if we don't wake up and understand what we're destined to. Yeah, go on, give the Lord a clap. As a king, make the decree. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Speak to the anarchy. Speak to the rioting. Speak to the pandemic. Speak to the hurricanes. Speak to the elements. Speak to the demons. No! The will of God. I release the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. I release revivals. I release conviction. I release the fact that men and women won't hear from angry demons. They'll hear from the Holy Spirit and their minds will come into agreement with the heart of God. Amen. So I want to show you a two-minute video. King's decree, priests, pray. We're both. I want to show you what one priest did. Do you know who he was? He was just an ordinary man. He wasn't in the ministry. He was a businessman. This is about the Fulton Street Revival that happened in New York City in 1858. Thank you. The United States, 1857. Slavery, rebellion, rumors of war. In three years, Americans would turn on each other and make history. But in 1857 New York City, history, the kind textbooks don't mention, was already happening. The date was September 23rd. A Christian layman named Jeremiah Lamphere held his first ever businessman's prayer meeting in Lower Manhattan. It was not, by all accounts, a rousing success. He passed out flyers for weeks. Six men attended. Two weeks later, the stock market crashed. Thousands of families lost all they had. And one of the greatest spiritual awakenings the world has ever seen began. Week by week, Jeremiah Lamphere's tiny lunch hour prayer meeting grew larger and larger. By December, his six men had become 10,000 men. And they met not every week, but every day. The New York newspapers took notice, 
And when word spread to other cities, spontaneous revival broke out across the country. In Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches and theaters three times each day just to pray. In Chicago, churches had to have waiting lists for people wanting to teach Sunday school. And all across America, pastors were baptizing 20,000 new believers every week. The revival eventually spread around the world. In England, entire towns were converted. Some towns disbanded their police force because of a lack of crime. And so many people came to Christ, churches had to hold services outside just to accommodate the crowds. The world had seen nothing like it, before or since. Global Revival. God started it with one man. It changed the course of history. And now, in today's world, people need to know, can history repeat itself? Can it happen again? In 1857, with the industrialization of New York City, neighborhoods were becoming slums. Churches were moving out and going to the wealthier areas. The North Dutch Reformed Church chose a different path. They said, we're not going to leave. We have a mission field out here. Yeah, it's getting ugly. It's getting dirty. It's getting bad. But we're not going to run. There are more people who get saved here than anywhere else. So they appointed Jeremiah and Lamphere uh, to head up neighborhood na uh, evangelism. So he, he pulled every trick out of the book. He went to the hotels and said, hey, recommend our church. We'll set pews up with the name of your hotel, and we will see people that are visiting New York that have come from your hotel in those rows. He went door knocking. He went street witnessing. He, he st tried to start a Sunday school program. And after months of this, with discouragement, he'd go back to the church and lock himself away and start to pray. And as he'd pray, the Spirit of God would come on him and he'd feel encouragement. And so he thought, you know what? Maybe there are businessmen out there in New York City that need encouragement. And so he started to advertise a prayer meeting. It didn't start that out of his own sense of defeat, because he saw that in prayer God encouraged him, he wanted to bring encouragement to others. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen out of a population of 800,000 people in New York were gathering daily in New York for prayer. In January 1858, there were at least 20 other prayer meetings going full tilt in the city Many of them were sparked by the Young Men's Christian Association, YMCA, back when it was a Christian organization. Other cities had them too. So John Bliss, a young office worker from Philadelphia, wandered in one day to Jeremiah's prayer meeting and upon returning to his home city began a similar noon meeting. On May 18, 1858, only eight months after that first quiet gathering in the North Church, the Dutch Church uh, neighborhood, the Philadelphia group dispatched a note to their colleagues in New York, and they said, James Hall, daily prayer meeting is crowded, upwards of 3,000 present. 
In May, a tent was put up and within four months, 150,000 people had prayed in that tent. By January 1858, newspapers were sending reporters to cover these meetings. The progress of the revival became a standard news headline. Remarkable cases of awakening were detailed at length, and there were many. These are some of the newspaper headings I'm going to read to you. In Schenectady, New York, the heading was, Ice on the Mohawk River Broken for Water Baptism. Newark, New Jersey, Firemen's Meeting Attracts 2,000. Washington, D.C., Five Prayer Meetings Go Round the Clock. New Haven, Connecticut, Revival Sweeps Yale. New Haven, Connecticut, City's Biggest Church Packed Twice Daily for Prayer. Bethel, Connecticut, Business Shuts Down for Hour Each Day, Everyone Prays. Albany, New York, state legislators get down on their knees. <laughs> Meetings sprang up in other parts of the city. It is estimated that there were 10,000 conversions in Philadelphia alone in 1858. At least 150 Massachusetts towns were moved by the revival with 5,000 conversions before the end of March. The Boston correspondent of a Washington newspaper wrote that religion was the chief concern in many cities and towns of New England. When the revival was at a high tide through the nation, it was judged or estimated that 50,000 people a week were being converted. And the numbers who joined the church in 1858 amounted to almost 10% of the country's total church membership. In 18 months, approximately, Paul, 1 million people came to Christ in 18 months. I refuse to build an institution when we have the opportunity to build a move of God. I refuse to just preach sermons when I'm called to move the hearts of men and women to be kings and priests and to act like it and to pray and decree revival, not only over our nation, but the nations of the world. This is only one of thousands of revivals that have taken place in history. No, you don't hear about it on the news. It's never proffered up as a, a solution on any of the morning news talk shows. No, you don't usually read about it in your history books at school. It's the last thing they'll ever talk about. Although I will admit, when my kids were in high school, each one of them, as they went through a certain year, showed me in the history book there was a couple of paragraphs about a great revivalist named Finney. And Finney, during this same period, 
was having revivals and he would get on a trolley car in the city and the moment he'd step on the car, unsaved people would fall off their seats in the trolley and fall to the ground on the trolley floor and start repenting and crying out to God for forgiveness. They say that as the ships came in with immigrants into New York Harbor, that the presence of God was so strong that immigrants, not knowing what was happening, would fall to the decks of the ships and start to cry out for God to save them and to forgive them of their sins. You see, too often we don't understand about revivals. We've not heard, we've not been told. But over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to point out different revivals that have happened. And in each of these revivals, not only did they shift a nation, they shifted nations. People would come from around the world to visit the revivals, and it was as if they took a... a um, a branch with them, a, a, a wooden log with them, and they would catch the fire and go home to their country, and revivals would break out in their countries. There was one young man who was in seminary during this particular revival. Missionaries went to India, they went to China, they went to Korea, they went around the world. Horace, I'm going to cheat, I don't remember his last name. Horace Underwood was in seminary and he was so moved by this revival he went to South Korea and he brought a revival of prayer. Do you know in 1984 I went to Korea to a church growth conference and uh, Young Yi Cho's church had bought a whole mountain and they put a prayer farm up on that mountain. They had little grottos cut into the walls of the mountain. It was like a six by six room. Most of us wouldn't even fit in there. I wouldn't. And they'd go up there and pray every day. No less than 10,000 people a day would go up to the mountain to pray. And on weekends, 30,000 people a day. Horace Underwood brought a fire from this revival. Today, out of 50 or so million people in South Korea, over 13 million are born-again Christians. It went from a pagan nation to a Christian nation. Church, America needs you more than you know. In fact, America needs you way more than you need America. And I challenge every one of you. You know, this Saturday, we had more people in the prayer meeting than we've had in weeks. And I challenge you, why don't you come out Saturday morning, 9 a.m., come pray with us. It's not that early. You still have a bit of a sleep in. Come and join us for prayer. I am telling you that God is moving this church in a position where we have the opportunity to be one of many catalysts for revival. And I believe that if you will understand and recognize and rise up to the destiny that's written all over you, you and I will be players in God's greatest drama that the earth has ever seen. I believe that the answer isn't something that has to come to us. The answer is something that is already in us. Yeah. Amen.
Come on, let's stand. Praise God. See, when the church prays, principalities get frozen. The warlords that control cities, states, regions, when the church is praising, praying, they lose control. They go out of their ever-loving minds. They're paralyzed by the prayers of the saints. And what happens is that their network of communication with the people under them is severed. And because the church is praying, the Holy Spirit starts brooding over that region. And instead of people hearing from demons, they start to hear from the Holy Spirit. Amen. It brings great conviction and great change. And maybe, maybe you've never seen a revival of that magnitude. Doesn't change the fact history is full of them. Full of them. And I believe that God is moving us, his church, to do something much more important than only meeting together on a Sunday. It's time that the church realizes we are the show. We don't go to church. We rise up, we wake up, we rise up, we stand up, and we become the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Come join us on Saturday. Come. Come and pray. Come and pray. Jesus said to Israel, you're going to lose the kingdom because you didn't produce the fruit of the kingdom. Cornelius wasn't praying for himself. He was praying for everybody else less fortunate than himself. He had a visitation from heaven that brought about a visitation to the Gentile world. What could we do in Oldsmar? Well, I know what God can do. Last week, we heard how Paul had prophesied on the Saturday prayer meeting. He didn't know that I had been praying for a million souls. And the Holy Spirit told him that through this revival in, that will start here in Oldsmar, Tampa Bay, we'll see a million souls. I'm not saying we as a church will make that, have that happen throughout doors. Who knows? Is God able to do that? He could do anything. But we're believing for a million souls. But the beauty of revival is not what happens here only. It's that it creates a phenomenon. They come from around the world and it's like tongues of fire get on them and they go home and they bring the same kind of revival to where they are. This can change America and this could change the world. Is it worth one hour on a Saturday morning? Or are you going to register a no? Let's start to pray on a regular basis. If you have never asked Jesus into your heart 
The only way to become part of the church is not by doing a membership course. The church is not a building. It's not a, a doctrine. It's not a denomination. The church are people who come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way to be part of the church is to turn from your sin, and we all sin. Turn away from a lifestyle that's contrary to God's word. Stop making excuses and justifying what God calls wrong. Let's come to a gracious Father who will forgive us if we truly turn from those things. Every eye closed. If you would like to ask Jesus Christ in your heart and be His church, have a relationship with God, Come on, raise your hand right now if that's you. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you, today's the time to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, raise your hand and say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. And while people are thinking on that, both through live stream and here right now, to the rest, to the church, I say, how many of you are feeling convicted in your heart to rise up and be a king and to be a priest? Put your hand up if the word of God is challenging you. Rise up. Join us. Start making declarations. Start to decree the word of the Lord. Start to pray. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We have prayer meetings here all through the week, 9 a.m. Pastor Jan runs prayer meeting also on Tuesday night. And you know what else? Every Sunday morning before we sing one song, there's about 15, 15 people praying next door. Why don't you come early on a Sunday morning and go to the prayer meeting and pray and say, God, please help Pastor Rob get his point across quicker so it'll be a shorter service. Why not come and pray and say, God, we want revival. We need revival. Stir us. Visit us. Come, Holy Ghost. Join those prayer meetings. I would be so thrilled if I found out next week there were 30 people in the prayer meeting. I would be so thrilled if a month from now, Pastor Jan says, we don't have enough room. Can we take another suite? I'd be thrilled. Come on out on Saturdays. Believe that you are a person of destiny and purpose. And when you pray, when you pray, 24 elders have been set aside for the whole earth to pick up every prayer of every born-again Christian and brings it before God. Is there a lack of incense in heaven because of you? Let's fill heaven with the praises of God and with the intercession of priests. Can I get an amen? Turn around to somebody and say, I'm a king and a priest. Come on, do it. Now say to the same person, and I'm going to live like one. In Jesus' name. God bless.